0: Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Clatch Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
2: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today we have a doozy of an episode to talk about.
2: Episode 108, Trace Decay, directed by Stephen Williams and written by Charles Yu and Lisa Joy. Stephen Williams, by the way, if you don't know, did a bunch of episodes of Lost and also one of The Walking Dead, amongst many other things.
1: Now, before we go into this episode, I want to talk real briefly about last episode, just a few things that we spoke about. Last week, I said that the Confederates that went after Dolores and William were the same people that Teddy and the Man in Black took out?
2: Yeah, you were saying they're confederados when we got a write-in that actually they're Union soldiers?
1: Yes, I was definitely wrong. Teddy actually shot up an encampment of Union soldiers soldiers that were part of his old unit. So I want to thank you to the fellow Clatchers for letting us know that we made that mistake. That was definitely my fault. Whenever I go off the cuff, I just fuck shit up.
2: Yeah, well, to me, it's a little confusing because the Union soldiers wear bu- blue uniforms. Yes. And the Confederados wear gray. Is that right? Yeah. But (laughs) the gray is like this light gray, sort of blue looking. In some scenes, it's a little difficult to tell. But that was from Jonathan P. and also Rich pointed that out.
1: Thank you, guys. Also, you know what I think? The storyline isn't really incumbent upon who those soldiers are. They don't really have yet a solid base in the storyline. So I think it was more, it was easier To kind of get that confused.
2: It's difficult. We know they're on two different sides of this war, but like you said, they haven't really told us a lot about what each one is searching for. We know that Ghost Nation was after them for some reason. We don't really know why or what that's about. This is all part of the new narrative, so I Mm -hmm. assume we'll be seeing it soon. Also,
1: last week we discussed the fact that if everyone was a host, the show would lose some appeal.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I just want to we got a few responses from that and I just wanted to clarify what we meant. We were saying that if it turned out that everyone in this in this story was a host, mm-hmm. that it would kind of flatline the story. We're not saying that their being hosts in there would lose its depth because there's a lot more going off of that as well. And we were kind of talking metaphorically. I think it's better if there's hosts among us and there's humans.
2: The mystery makes that more interesting, right? Trying to figure out who is and who isn't. So automatically, if they all are, you lose some of that trying to discern. Also, I don't mean to flatline the story. I mean, flatten out the depth of perspectives that you're getting and right. what they bring, the tension that arises. So it's not that the storyline of the host isn't interesting in and of itself. It definitely is. And the more we get to know them, like we said last time, know their backstory, see them as individuals and not just programmed beings, the more interesting that becomes. But the whole point of their storyline is this struggle to be, right? To be able to be themselves, to be recognized, to live their own lives. And unless they're fighting against somebody for that, there is no struggle. There is no tension. As long as there are board members and humans and techs and all these people that work there, now you have real tension. So that's kind of what I meant.
1: Yeah. And John G. wrote to us in regards to that, and he extrapolated a little bit and went into detail. And we will revisit that later on during Clatcher's comments. Christina, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do we still feel that Elsie is being rebuilt as a host? So we said that. We also said it looks like Teresa was going to be a host that was being built. Mm-hmm. Now We now know that's not going to turn out. Dr. Ford showed... Didn't show his hand, but he he, uh, set it up where Teresa was found dead and made that into a story.
2: Yes. Well, he said they were wiping the tracks. They didn't want to link it to him. He didn't want it to be obvious that they killed her. But in the time that they had her down in that office, they could have very well gotten whatever information they needed, mapped her, gotten a blueprint, Mm -hmm. or what have you. I don't think that necessarily writes out the fact that they could be creating one. It's not confirmed either, Also, we still don't really know what happened to Elsie. We saw Bernard choking her out in that memory. We didn't see if she died. We didn't see where she's gone since then.
1: But we did predict that it would be Bernard that took her.
2: Yeah, and that was correct.
1: Uh, I have to disagree with you. There's no way he's going to make a Teresa now because he doesn't want the other humans there thinking that he's making hosts out of what used to be human there. So he's n- he's not going to show that.
2: Well, I don't think that he would immediately release her or that would be within the park or perhaps even that it would still look like her if he decided to do that. But I, I'm not discounting the fact that he has or may continue to manufacture hosts out of what used to be people and send them back out into the outside world without people knowing. And that's also kind of a theory from a clatcher that we'll get into more later. Overall people saw this episode as the definitive answer to a lot of questions. The two timeline theories, the William is Man in Black theory, the host theories. While this definitely was info dump, there was a lot of exposition happening in this episode, and I don't necessarily mean that good or bad. At times, it was perhaps a bit heavy. I do like getting the answers to questions. I've been waiting for that, so I was happy with it. I still don't think that it answers everything.
1: No, I don't think it definitively answers the two, the dual timeline. It did lean towards it, but there could be a reason for, we'll get deeper into it, for the what the Man in Black was saying. Like It doesn't necessarily mean that was William.
2: The biggest trigger for that was the host who we saw with Teddy and the Man in Black. Him mentioning that he thought she'd be retired by now because she's been around for a long time, and the fact that that is the same host that greeted William and Logan when they came in right, to Westworld. Right, so it does seem as though she's been around for a long time and that might put it farther in the past.
1: Yes. Now, let me be clear. I'm in this school that it's William. I do think it is. Mm-hmm. But I want to, I don't want to say that it's definitive. Because one, she was a greeter.
0: Mm-hmm. She may
1: have greeted many people. Mm-hmm. So yes, that could have been where the man in black remembered her from. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it was William just because we saw her greet.
2: Right. And she could have been a greeter right up until very recently and then moved. Or going back to, there could be multiple versions of these hosts. We still don't know that for sure. I know you're not a fan of that, but (laughs) (laughs) we haven't (laughs) seen proof one way or another if that's happening. We're going to get into that and so much more. One more note that we got before we get started from Richard. We asked the question last episode about the hazmat suits. And why techs wear them at times when they come in? What purpose does it serve? He says his guess is the practice is designed to prevent DNA from contaminating the environment. So the techs' DNA from actually getting into Westworld, their skin cells or what have you, if they leave them behind, this becomes property of Westworld and they can do what they want with it. So it's actually for their protection.
1: I like that idea. (laughs) I think that's perfect. And also digging deeper into that, it could contaminate the DNA they're trying to get from their guests. Right. That was perfect. We, we asked the question to our clatchers, and we got a, a perfect answer.
2: I love <laughs> yeah, it. I like that one, too. Well, before we get too deep down the rabbit hole, let's back it up for a minute and give our opening notes as we normally do. IMDB gave episode 108, Trace Decay a 9.3, and Rotten Tomatoes, a 100% yet again. again. Sweet. They are super high on it. Overall, how are you feeling?
1: Well, I won't give my reveries yet, but I'm <laughs> high on it. It's <laughs> get, been pumping up. It's been getting better and better. I'm wondering if next episode they're going to pull a Game of Thrones, and that'll be the most epic part, and then the ne- the last episode will be...
2: I do like that format, and I do get that feeling. I wonder, every episode, how can they go further? What else are they going to talk about? And they just keep pulling it out of the head there. Or... Yeah,
1: what else are they going to talk about?
2: <laughs> I also love... The title here and the meaning behind it, we have been big on examining that since going back to Game of Thrones, every show that we do, and trying to find bigger meanings, not just what is the obvious. So here, the obvious, trace decay is a theory that talks about memories stored in both short-term and long-term memory systems, and it assumes that they leave a trace in the brain. According to this, short-term memory can only retain information for a limited amount of time about 15 to 30 seconds, unless it is rehearsed. So if you think about that, that's pretty crazy. If you don't rehearse it, the information just gradually starts to fade away and decay and only leaves traces, which are very difficult to access. Hmm. If, let's say, something happened to you, you think about it afterwards, you go home and you tell somebody about it, now you're activating that and you're storing it into your long-term memory bank, where it can be pulled up at will. But even the short-term ones that fade... Something of them generally still remains. It's Mm -hmm. just very hard to access. That gets me into thinking about more psychological theories because I just can't help it. (laughs) There's a lot of theories about the conscious out there. We danced around this a few episodes ago but didn't get too far into it. One of the biggest is that you have three levels to your consciousness. The regular conscious, that's what you're aware of at any present moment. You can pull that information up, talk about it. The second is your preconscious or subconscious. This is where a lot of people get confused. Your subconscious is not actually the hidden stuff. It's just one layer deeper. It's information you can access or recall and bring to your consciousness at will at any given moment. So you're not actively thinking about it right now, Mm -hmm. but if you wanted to tell me what happened to you yesterday, you could bring that up. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> With most people, depending how good your memory is. Then you have this third layer. That's the deep one, the unconscious. There, information, mostly we can't access. It's unconscious, primitive wishes, beliefs, or things that maybe they come from childhood. We haven't rehearsed them for a very long time. We can't really pull them up whenever we want to. Now, they do come up at times, say in our dreams, Uh, As an art therapist, uh, we believe that this comes out in your artwork. And finally, that it does drive your behavior. Even if you're not aware of it, it influences the decisions you make. Those are the three commonly known accepted parts. There's also a couple of theories about this other level, this fourth level. Some people call it a superconscious. They describe it as the universal mind of God which sounds a lot like our bicameral mind theory, and it's the ability to sort of rise above your animal instincts. Others, including Carl Jung, thought that this was the universal library of human knowledge, wisdom that was transcendent, that every human being was born with. It contained certain psychic archetypes or universal symbols like the Great Mother, the Wise Old Man, the Shadow. He thought that Hell, the way Dante described it, all of those circles, was really just the disturbing aspects of your collective unconscious. Hmm. So this is what I think is cool about this theory. We saw a couple of instances in this episode where it looks like Tex, people working there, even Ford himself, has tried to wipe the memories of hosts. For example, it seems as though he tried to wipe the memory of Bernard taking Elsie. And hurting her when he asks, have I ever done this before? And he does remember taking her. That doesn't seem like something Ford intended to happen. It's like it was a trace memory that was left over that he tried to wipe and just couldn't. That would indicate some type of subconscious or unconscious, rather. They can't just pull these memories at will, but they do bubble up unexpectedly at times for hosts. We see that happening with Dolores. Maeve's past lives oh yeah so we believe that's probably Arnold responsible whatever coding he put in there is allowing them to pull up memories of the past might that also mean that they share some sort of collective unconscious and that could really get crazy with Maeve's new army that she's trying to build and form a rebellion
1: well Dr. Ford even said what is conscience Mm. it's nothing it's what we made up to try to explain something we have no idea about.
2: Almost a universal narrative, which is exactly how we're describing the collective unconscious, right?
1: Yeah. When we were watching the show, I was thinking to myself, why did God make it where, or whomever Hmm. we're from, make it where we don't have a good memory? Why do we have to throw shit out? Why can't I remember you know, certain things that I learned in high school or... Mm -hmm something, like I've already forgotten half of what you already said, (laughs) because it was a lot at once. Yeah. Why can't we just store it like a computer? Yeah. And as the show went on, this might not be the reason, but this was the answer I got right away, is that we need to see things hazily, is Mm -hmm. that a word? Yeah. (laughs) So that we know it's a memory and not get it mixed up with the now.
2: Yeah, and our minds aren't as big as the hosts, so the hosts do have a large this database that's like a bank that can store unlimited memories and yeah like you say when they pull it up this isn't like a faded image that they have to pull out of the back of the file cabinet yeah i sort of remember that it comes up clear as day as though it just happened to them moments ago and they can't even distinguish between that and reality which you know what that reminds me of trauma ptsd oh. I teach a lot about this, and man, we could go a whole podcast. I won't get into it. This is really sort of my area in therapy. And we talk about how when you store normal memories, you attach a narrative to it. Like we were just saying, you rehearse it. You have a story in your mind that you tell yourself related to that event. Mm -hmm. That's because you have time to do that, and you're able to access both your left and your right brain to work together in processing that memory. When you experience a trauma or something very difficult, you don't have the ability to do... It's really only the right part of your brain. And we say left brain, right brain. It's not as simple as all of that. But just for argument's sake so you can understand what I'm saying, the right side of your brain is more active. It's storing it as images, as emotions, as pictures. You don't attach the words to it or the storyline. And so it's not filed away properly and later... When you go to think about it, you can't control when you pull that memory out. Sometimes it just flashes up. That's why people that deal with PTSD have flashbacks, nightmares. And when they think about it, it feels like it's happening to them in the moment. They can't distinguish that from reality sometimes. That feels an awful lot like what happened to Maeve and even Dolores here.
1: What is trauma that they go through over and over and over again?
2: It is absolutely traumatic experiences. So that's an interesting note that we can kind of examine further once we get to those characters.
1: Okay, but how come if we study for a test Mm -hmm. or something and we have our note cards and we keep going over and over and rehearsing, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, how come a couple weeks later we still forget it?
2: Mm. Well, you're still basically storing it in short term. It's a longer access short term, but your brain doesn't feel like that's important enough to really dig down and put it there in the long term or it does but then new information comes up that your brain deems more important and so it has to start dumping stuff that's in there that's not as important and so it starts dumping that information for you know the space that you need for day-to-day stuff
1: our brain is pretty inefficient then if we had if we had a computer that was like that it'd be the shittiest computer
2: Yeah, well, think about (laughs) the way your computer does operate, right? When you start to have too many files and too much in there, you do have to start deleting things or it'll start slowing Slowing down down. or messing up, shutting down. Uh, It's it's very similar, but you're right. Human brains are not that efficient. They do work miracles, but we don't even understand the half of how and why they operate.
1: Do you think in the future we'll have a chip that can act as our solid state hard drive where we can store information and our brain could essentially be the ram that brings it to our forefront and recalls things for us
2: wouldn't that be amazing if you had multiple external hard drives okay this information is about foreign languages and math stuff and whatever so you could just plug it in there when you needed that information
1: but then the old story how valuable would information be then yeah just like Libraries, like now that there's Google and the internet, Mm -hmm. less people go to the libraries. So would it be less valuable, uh, the skills that people may have, where they can recall, you know, analysts, sports analysts, they can recall every football game, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, if everyone can do that, then... It's
2: not special. Not only that, but do you really want to remember everything in that great of a detail? Some of what the mind does for you is a defense mechanism yeah. because that memory is painful. It will try to gradually fade it over time or even eliminate it from the memory back. That never really happens, but it does make it easier for you to function day to day. And we hear that talked about a lot on this show. Dr. Ford thinks he's doing them a kindness. Mm-hmm. Would you really want to remember the awful stuff that happens to you every day at Westworld to, to Bernard? He says, I'm going to let you be at peace. Mm. I'm going to give you what you really want was just to forget.
1: See, that's not true, because in sixth grade, I got pantsed by my quote-unquote best friend (laughs) in front of a whole lot of chicks, and I was wearing boxers with hearts on it, (laughs) and everyone laughed at me, and I couldn't forget that. It was
2: traumatizing, so now, yeah, that you're not going to forget.
1: Fucker thought it was funny.
2: (laughs) Well, all that and more questions we'd like to get into this episode, we also have our ones from Vulture.com. Number one, is Elsie actually dead, we touched upon. Number two, whose side is Hale on? Number three, what's the relationship between Bernard and Arnold? And I would say between Ford and Arnold for that matter. Number four, will Maeve ever reunite with her daughter? Number five, what will become of Sylvester? And number six, is the pain or emotions that the host experience what prompts evolution? So I picked out the best of the questions they put up for this week and We can talk about them more. We just have a couple of music notes. House of the Rising Sun by The Animals and Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Those were both on the player piano.
1: Yes. And she had a lyric I read online that says, I died a hundred times.
2: Oh, Teddy. (laughs) Teddy,
1: (laughs) Maeve. Actually, almost every host there.
2: Sure. And the last one was Swan Lake by the Philharmonic Orchestra. Jay, I think you also have a couple notes for us about this episode, too.
1: I have a few fun facts. On Twitter, at Philly Nuts wrote to us, at CKC Podcast, episode 7, that's last episode, was insane. 9.9 9 rating for me. Ford is a savage. He's my MVB by far. <laughs> was Bernard a real guy before or always a host? So we had spoke about the fact that, well, I think this was mine. I don't know if you agreed. That I believe Bernard was a real human mm. that was working for Dr. Ford. And he did lose his child and he did have a wife. Mm-hmm. So though that wife is real. It's a real person that we saw on episode two, I believe. And he found out and Dr. Ford basically had him killed, created a, a host out of him, and the best qualities of him, but kept that memory in the in the backlog, the whole backstory. Mm-hmm when he speaks to his wife, the wife doesn't know any better. That's what I believe. And I kind of like that storyline rather than him just creating him. Now, in this episode, Dr. Ford did say, I created you to create love. I needed someone to be the heart. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he created him out of nowhere.
2: It doesn't eliminate it, but it does throw it into question. It does seem as though he actually manufactured him out of nothing with the intent to portray real human emotion because if it if he was a human before that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it wouldn't have been as hard to model those emotions to try to base it off of what he already had. The challenge was to create that in a completely artificial intelligence. Right. I did really like that idea and I liked it perhaps pertaining to Ford as well. We'll talk more later about how Ford still could be the ultimate first creation or best yeah. creation of Arnold and if that was the case... Was he a person? Because I had talked last episode, feeling that if he is host or part host now, I strongly believe that he was a human at some point. Based on how he talks about the human experience, the suffering, the consciousness, it really feels like he's been there and he knows what it's about. If not, are those all implanted thoughts from Arnold himself? Things that Arnold went through, the whole reason that he started up this park?
1: Maybe. I mean, he said Arnold created the hosts, my family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He created them for me to remember. Yeah, That could have been a family that was created for him as a host.
2: And there, there is proof to some extent that he could be a host. And we'll get more into that in Clatcher's comments because we had a lot of feedback about it.
1: I just want to remind all the Clatchers, if you ever want to know when our next cast will be up, just check out coffeeclatchcrew.com, that's clatch with a K, and we have a countdown on the homepage that will give you a pretty good estimate for when I will put it up. I really try to stick by that.
2: Yeah, you're, you're pretty close to being accurate, and we do try to have an order to what day of the week approximately we put that out. And don't get me wrong, we do love you writing in wondering, when in the hell is the podcast yeah. going up? That's a really good feeling, yeah. but if you want to monitor it, that is the way. Also, that will give you new information about what's up and coming for CKC, and there will be some new up and coming things happening.
1: Yes, we got big plans coming up, one of which we want to talk to you about Patreon page that we will be creating. And we want to talk about it now since we have everyone who's subscribed to the Westworld channel. Every time we go to a new show, it takes a while for the, new, for the numbers to go back up.
2: And we do know that some of you have followed us over from Mr. Robot, so it seems like you like what you're hearing. I know it's probably annoying. Every time you listen to a podcast, they're talking about Patreon. Yeah, But I really think it is going to be one of the best ways that we can offer you more content.
1: We put in a lot of work here, and we need to find some way to make a little bit of money to pay for the hosting and to pay for our sanity. (laughs) So we're creating a Patreon page. It's going to start small. We're going to have maybe only two brackets just so that we can't we don't overpromise and under deliver. I know for one, it's gonna be the first bracket's gonna be just a dollar. And that's for you to just to help us out and say thank you to us mm-hmm. and, and that would be appreciated alone. Then we're gonna have a second bracket which will give you a movie podcast a month that only Patreon listeners will hear.
2: Yeah, so our regular podcast will still continue to be free. Mm-hmm. Whatever show we pick next time, you will get that. However, if you'd like something more We don't have all the finer details worked out yet, but probably one movie a month, something new, something you'd be interested in. We'll go see it. We'll review it for you. And if you pay for the Patreon, you will have access to that. And it's not going to be a lot of money.
1: Yep. There'll be a Patreon-only discussion thread. All the Clatchers can discuss among themselves whatever's going on, whatever show we're talking about. And we're going to add more and more to it as we grow. In the
2: future, right. Right.
1: Speaking of next show, we are thinking Sherlock. It's coming out January 1st. It's the fourth season.
2: Perfect timing.
1: It's three episodes long, but every episode is like a mini movie, essentially. So much goes on in these.
2: Yeah, it might take even more than one podcast per episode. It might take two podcasts per episode to really get into all of it. It's still probably going to be a shorter season than what we're used to. So we'll start thinking about what's to come after that. But let us know what you think about Sherlock. Are you fans? Do you like that idea? And if not, what else are you thinking about?
1: Yes, we need to hear from you guys. Do you like Sherlock? If not, don't just write no. Say, (laughs) not into Sherlock, but I'm into such and such that's coming on. And give us as much detail so we can look into it.
2: Or Black Mirror, which already aired. We talked about that in the poll last time. We had a lot of fans who were into that. We'd be willing to go that route.
1: If you haven't heard of it, it's on Netflix right now. Season one, two, three, and their special episode, which aired last Christmas. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch at his best. It's amazing.
2: We would give you all the information about the show. We're not going to have time, obviously, to go back and look at all the seasons that you've missed. But we'll do a brief sort of prequel Mm -hmm. to get you caught up to speed. And then we would jump into it. So we don't want to take too much time here. But give us your thoughts and we'll elaborate upon that as we get closer.
1: You can go to our website and hit the contact form or just email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Last thing, movie podcast. This one will be free to everyone.
2: It's a teaser. See what you would be getting on Patreon.
1: Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. 90% Rotten Tomatoes, 8 out of 10 IMDb. That's going to be our next movie. We are going to watch it. We are currently moving out of a house into another place. (laughs) And it has been a madhouse here.
2: Amongst the four other jobs we have, yes. and this podcast.
1: Everything's in boxes except for microphones, computer, <laughs> and the TV so we can watch the show.
2: We're podcasting to you from an empty room.
1: So that'll be next. Look forward to that. And keep in touch as we move forward.
2: All right. They want us to shut up and get into coast Let's World. get into it. For fuck's sake.
0: <laughs> then when we started, the host emotions were primary colors. Love, hate. I wanted all the shades in between. Human engineers were not up to the task, so I built you, and together you and I captured that elusive thing heart. I don't understand. I cared for Teresa, loved her. Why did you make me kill her? One man's life or death were but a small price to pay for the acquirement of the knowledge which I sought. ...the dominion I should acquire. All of the
2: beauty you Ford explains that these feelings, the guilt, anguish, and pain, have nothing to do with God. He killed Teresa only because Ford told him to do so. He also tells us he created Bernard because the human engineers weren't up to the task of making a lifelike host. This is what you discussed. And Arnold came to feel the same way as Bernard does now, but he couldn't stop Ford either. What in the hell does that mean? He couldn't stop Ford.
1: Maybe Ford didn't kill himself.
2: Is this Frankenstein? Did Arnold's creation get away from (laughs) him? Oh, I wonder. Because you know what's interesting? We get the quote from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein out of Ford's mouth. One man's life or death is but a small price to pay for the acquirement of the knowledge they sought, or as Ford says, the dominion I shall acquire.
1: I heard this from one of our Twitter twitterer people <laughs> he did write that dr ford said you're not the only man yes to confront me on this or try blah blah blah. Down, try to yeah. take me down so he did uh refer to him as a man i don't know if that means much but it kind of
2: it's does, a weird right? way to talk about it yeah and uh he, ford also says they would have destroyed the art of this place is they the board is they arnold
1: not arnold i think arnold was into this too right
2: It seemed like he was the visionary, but at some point, it also feels as though Ford and Arnold split on how they viewed things, and Ford won.
1: In this scene, we got to see Jeffrey Wright, how amazing of an actor he is. He went through so many emotions in this scene, up and down, angry, throwing chairs, Mm -hmm. shaking, crying, back to um, emotionless (laughs) robot while the tears are still coming down. I had to rewind it. It was amazing.
2: As far as characters and acting, this was just an incredible episode between Jeffrey Wright, Anthony Hopkins. You're going to have a fair share of scenes where we can discuss his acting. And at the very end, we get the little taster that Peter Abernathy is coming back, who was my favorite actor of the show. I know it's blasphemy next to Anthony Hopkins, but I thought he was doing an amazing job. Oh, yeah.
1: I can't wait to have him back.
2: So that's exciting. But back here for a minute with Ford discussing the fact that he created Bernard to be this heart. He said, when we started, the host emotions were primary colors. Love, hate. I wanted all the shades in between, but they weren't up to that task. That's why I built you to capture this elusive thing. Hmm. Very poetic. This goes back to my confusion around Ford. Like you say, one moment he is... Right along with Arnold, it seems, in alignment with wanting to actually make these hosts more human. Yeah. To want to capture emotion and heart, that's really the the quintessential human experience. And yet the next moment he just wants to to be able to wipe them and shut them down. I'm still torn.
1: I think it's because he he wants them to feel it, but he still needs to control it. Remember he had that quote about his father a few episodes ago. Where he said to his father, the world doesn't care about you. And he said, I made my own world. Yeah. So I think this is reminiscent of the way he feels in that. That this is his world. He wants them to have feelings, but he wants to be able to control it in a manner. Is it that he wants to
2: control it or is it that he really thinks this is what's better for them? It seems like he really is trying to save some pain. For Bernard here. He doesn't want him to have to go through that.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But then why all the reveries?
2: Yeah, and in in, in his next breath, you're right. He says, as exquisite as this array of emotions is, even more sublime is the ability to turn it off. Yeah. So enough is enough. You got to shut down and get back to work now.
1: Well, this is him playing God, and we've had three times in this one episode. Maeve playing God, Dr. Ford playing God, the man in black saying, I am God.
2: And you have Ford continually denying that. He said it to Teresa. He said it to Bernard here. It has nothing to do with God. I'm not trying to play God. It's the board that did that. He's really against that idea. And yet it seemed like Arnold was for that idea. He wanted this bicameral mind in the host. He wanted them to think that's what they were hearing. So that's going somewhere. It has to be. Anyhow, here he instructs Bernard to cover his tracks. He wipes him down, frees him of those memories and the grief. Best to move forward with clear eyes, he tells him. So he will remember Teresa as a colleague and nothing more. So
1: Arnold goes around. He goes to the security footage and on his computer... He, it's like Photoshop. He puts a lasso tool around himself mm-hmm. and essentially erases his own body from the foreground.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So now it looks like Teresa's just walking alone. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Then he goes and all the notes that he had, letters, he gets rid of those mm-hmm. and he gets rid of any remembrance of her.
2: Any evidence that they had a relationship more than colleagues.
1: And he does this because Ford said it or does he do it because Ford promised him the pain would be gone?
2: I think he does it because Ford said it because several times in this episode we hear mention later Maeve will will flash back to when she lost her daughter. Right. And Ford will say, "Don't you want this gone? I can take this from you." And she said, "No, because the pain is all I have left of her." And that's exactly the line we heard from Bernard in talking about his son. That if that's all that tied him to that person and that relationship, he will keep that rather than erasing it entirely. So I don't think that would have been his choice. We'll get back to Ford later. Now I want to move on to Maeve. I'm going to do something different. Don't worry, we're not changing the format of the show. We will always continue to move sequentially through the episode and do a bit of a recap along with our notes, but I am clustering the Maeve-Sylvester-Felix scenes into one for us to talk about because they really had them spread out in little blips over the course of this episode. So just for flow's sake, first Maeve meets the new Clementine.
1: She did not like her. I didn't know her name was still Clementine.
2: Same name, same outfit. Did you see the dress? Yep. And the same dialogue. How weird must this be for Maeve? The piano plays in the background but slows down as Maeve vividly remembers her life with her daughter. And once back in Livestock, she asked Felix about it, saying she can't tell what's real and what's not. This is where Felix explains that, you know, when humans remember things, details are hazy and imperfect, but when hosts remember, it's like reliving it. And Maeve says she doesn't want to keep these things. If every relationship and story that's in her mind was just created by the text to keep her there, what sense does it make? It's not real. And planning her escape, she next warns Sylvester that she knows about the explosive failsafe that's hidden in her spine and demands administrative privileges.
1: So this answers the question we had. What happens if you try to leave?
2: Info bomb. Yes. Literally. <laughs> it's a bomb inside of their neck. Their cervical spine, to be more specific, C6 vertebrae. Now, I did a little looking because I wondered, do some of your vertebrae are special? For different things, if you look at the anatomy of your body, if you injure, say, certain ones, that Mm -hmm. can have effects on other things with your health, your functioning. It seems as though C6 is not particularly important. C7 is the lowest one down on your spine, so it's responsible for more. But even still, what comes from C6 and C7, it travels down your nerves Mm -hmm your tendons, everything that goes from your shoulder down to your elbow and to your wrist to control your functioning so that you're able to bend your elbow and have certain movements in your arm. Right.
1: You said lowest down on your spine. You mean lowest down on the spine as far as the neck area?
2: Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Before you actually get to the back, we're talking cervical spine, so the couple of vertebrae that lead from right below your head down to the base of your shoulders kind of. Okay. So I'm thinking if you did damage to that area, the C5-6-7 region, Mm -hmm. you could have some affected mobility in the arm. This is partially what it's responsible for. This might be a stretch. Does this have anything to do with where they have implanted those trackers in the host's forearm?
1: (sighs) Perhaps, but those hosts aren't trying to leave. Yet. Yet. So, (laughs) yeah, you might be right.
2: Could they somehow send a signal up, transmit it up their nerves or something to disable that tracker or that explosive?
1: Hmm, I wonder. That's a good... uh...
2: Because if somebody's planning on a revolution or getting hosts out of the park, they would have to be able to shut that down, right? Or they would just, you know, boom, that's the end of it. (laughs) And Maeve's going to figure it out. You can be damn sure about that. She's getting that turned off.
1: Yeah. All I know is if it was me that created these hosts, I would put the explosive... On their C4 disc.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Sorry. I actually like that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, they tell her, Sylvester and Felix, that she's going to need a full build in order to replace that. That's not something they can just fiddle around on the tablet and shut it down. And even after that, she's still going to need an army if she wants to break out of there. And we're going to find out what she intends for the army later. Our clatcher, Jonathan, wrote in, because he had a theory about this, which he must be happy now that it seems this is proving correct. He thought that in order to fill out her numbers for Maeve's mission, she was going to decide to recruit the biggest, craziest group of badass bandits in the park, meaning Hector's posse, and that possibly they would be sent in as a Trojan horse after a massacre, and from there, hell is unleashed upon Delos. (laughs) Jonathan, congratulations. He wrote this in, obviously, before this episode. Oh, wow. She is definitely rounding up Hector's posse. Yes. Later on. You I can think tell. I think you're going to be right. And I do like that idea about a Trojan horse, that if they can go in there and somehow, I don't know, maybe sacrifice themselves, detonate their explosives so that they can take out part of Delos and free the hosts.
1: I wonder. Maybe they'll make one of the hosts that they don't like be that that person yeah i wrote my notes as soon as she said she needs to get an army together uh that's when i wrote first will probably be hector
2: you've been saying that
1: yeah and then i said i believe and then maybe not this season maybe we'll see some hummings of it bernard will be the key uh which we kind of see as a foreshadow with the way this episode began with Bernard getting angry, telling Dr. Ford he will not let him do this, Mm. and Dr. Ford basically regaining control. If Maeve improves his bulk at perception, Mm. Dr. Ford will not be able to take back control. She doesn't know Bernard is a host yet, but I can see this taking a while for her to find out, and then once she starts to to give him this power, he can play the long game with Dr. Ford. I mean, he knows everything. He knows the ins and outs of Dr. Ford. He's got control of everything.
2: This would be amazing. How would she figure that out, what Bernard is?
1: Because she's she's fucking Superman right now. She can probably recognize any patterns in the way he speaks mm-hmm. and be like, that's a host. Mm-hmm. Maybe.
2: She's got to come into contact with him, though. Yeah. I mean, it's peculiar that she still isn't being noticed.
1: She may come into contact with him now that she's captured. Which I'm I'm jumping way ahead.
2: Yeah, but up until the end of this episode, Mm -hmm. the fact that she has been, I wrote it off when Felix was giving her the tour of the facility because it did, other people were bothered by it, but to me, I was saying, well, they're walking hosts around, they're training them, what's different, Felix could be doing the same thing for all they know. But I had to suspend my disbelief a little bit last time when she was standing right outside the door while Clem was being lobotomized. Mm -hmm. And Teresa was there. They walked right by her. They don't say a thing. They've been playing with her everything coding on this tablet, which for somebody that doesn't know much, Felix is sure catching on pretty quick.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So I'm finding it harder and harder to believe that nobody has noticed anything going on with her. As far as what's happening here in the building, now they will notice what's happening with her in the park, and that might lead to some deeper revelations about what Maeve's been up to once they get her into diagnostic. But let's not go too far ahead. First, Sylvester tells Maeve she needs to return to the park. Somebody is going to start to catch on. He's getting worried. Instead, she asks who Arnold is and requests a trip to behavior for more modification. (laughs) Because the things they need to change are too deep in her core code. Speaking privately to Felix, Sylvester reveals his plan to shut down Maeve. He wants to wipe her. To which Felix responds, but she's awake.
1: Yeah.
2: She's got him. She's
1: woke. Hashtag woke.
2: And she's got him. Yeah. He can't do this to her now. His empathy is pinging. (laughs) He agrees. He says yes to Sylvester, but then it turns out he doesn't do a damn thing. I thought it was interesting that what Maeve said here. Beautiful. She says, elegant, formal structures. There's a kind of recursive beauty. Complex, like two minds arguing with each other. The things we were designed to do are just out of reach. It's like they're dormant. Who is Arnold? That's the bicameral mind going there, right? How does she know this?
1: I wonder. I don't know. It's got to be after she, Yeah, yeah, you're right. She's starting to...
2: She's noticing his coding and saying how elegant and beautiful it is.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) It's almost like, oh, I can see into my mind now. Like I'm waking up and I can even see how things are built. It's like there's two minds there. One of them, things are just out of reach. You know, those things that Arnold implanted that all these hosts that are older are able to access now. Oh, she's going to get to that. She's going to learn a lot about Arnold and that's going to be fun when she tells us about it.
1: I want to have her powers. I want to say one quote that she said in this scene, Mm. which shows how she's acting from this point on. Time to write my own fucking story. (laughs) And that's basically what she does as soon as she gets down there. Starts narrating a whole nother storyline.
2: I didn't expect it to be so literal. She is literally writing her own story. She's the new narrator. She's God. First, though, Sylvester and Felix wheel her to behavior where she instructs them how to change her code. She's a whiz on this tablet now. When Felix does not shut her down, and Maeve abruptly awakens, she terrifies Sylvester. And then she goes and slits his throat with a scalpel. Felix is shocked. He's like, I thought you said you weren't going to hurt anybody. She is scary in this moment, right?
1: Very much so. In this scene, and we'll go back to that, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, did he wipe her? Did he wipe her? No way. Because we saw the button there, reformat. I don't know if he needed to anyways. Then we find out that she, <laughs> she wasn't wiped. And then I was starting to think, what did he actually do then? And she says, basically, this is what I can do. And she cuts his throat. Yeah. Now, Sylvester, this whole season that we've known him, but especially this episode, he's very annoying and kind of <laughs> over the top on yeah. everything. Yeah. She could be like, I need to blow my nose. He be like, what?
2: <laughs> we can't have this.
1: <laughs> you can't blow your nose here.
2: I know, and conversely, Felix's emotions are so great, right? He's not saying much, but you can see he's scared. He feels bad for her. He doesn't want to wipe her. She's awake. She's real now. How could he possibly do that? And yet he takes the gamble, and the moment he does, he has to regret it because he kills Sylvester. And as much as he didn't like Sylvester, he didn't want want her to kill him.
1: No, not at all. And there's another quote that we missed. She's just so quotable. (laughs) Even at level 14, I was more than a match.
2: Yeah, for you. Oh. I had that too.
1: So they changed her core code, and she can now kill humans.
2: And other changes, and I think that's what you were talking about, because I said, what are her other new talents? I think that's what Felix was doing in there. Yeah. Part of it is, yeah, this override, right, of the Good Samaritan reflex. She can kill Sylvester. I'm sure there's more to it than that. Things that are going to help her escape. And to form this army. Maybe he even gave her the ability to whisper code and narrative to other people. Well, Maybe that's not just upping her ball cap perception and making her smarter. Maybe there's actually a thing in there.
1: Well, I think she knows the code now and she can utilize it. Because we do see her changing and making her own story. Changing the narration for the new Clementine.
2: But it's not special. They're not... Narrative prompts, like what Ford uses, Mm -hmm. like deep and dreamless slumber, where Ford can just wave his hand and things happen. She's actually having to verbalize and tell them the story. Right. It's really just like she's narrating a story. But instead of saying things to them, like, you will go in the back and do what I tell you to do Mm -hmm. now, where it sounds like it's her idea coming from her, she's making it sound like their idea. Right. Oh, the bartender realized he needed to go into the back to wipe things down. Oh, yeah, I did realize that. Yeah. I should go into the back. So something triggered her to know that that was the way to get it done. And that clearly happened here, right?
1: Yes, and you had mentioned when we were talking about this earlier that you think that was the second voice that she was referring to. Yeah. Almost as two voices in my head. Yeah. She was acting as that second voice. The subconscious.
2: Yeah. The subconscious narrator.
1: Yeah. <laughs> quote-unquote narrator.
2: And that's very much like what we've seen the hosts hearing. When Dolores hears those things inside of her head, go yeah. here, find this place, shoot him with the gun. This is what Maeve's doing now. So who was the original narrator? It has to be Arnold, right? I think so. I can't think of any other. It's pretty amazing how it's unfolding. They, for all the exposition we do get... You know, they say in a good story, you show, don't tell. There is quite a bit of telling here, Mm -hmm. you know, with Dr. Ford kind of dropping things on us. But there's a lot of showing as well, and particularly when it comes to Maeve. Her plot line has just been amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. Super Maeve.
2: The last thing I want to talk to you about here is that with Maeve's permission, Felix goes over to stop the bleeding. He uses some kind of tool to cauterize his wound, what looks like it was a fatal wound or would have been if, if he didn't intervene. How is this possible? Is this part of the new medicine technology, the thing we're hearing about, that outside of Westworld, they have essentially cured disease and suffering?
1: I don't know. First of all, he only half did it. Only half yeah. the neck was done, and he, f- he stopped. And I was like, dude's still dying. Half it was his weird, neck is right? going off. <laughs> And then also, if it was just a flesh wound, then maybe that, I'm imagining maybe that, would work, cauterizing it. But she cut his Adam's out. It's apple. not.
2: You could see he was still gurgling.
1: Yeah. It was so like he
2: couldn't speak.
1: I, I mean, Maybe this is like the old school Star Trek where they're able to heal people of diseases that we can't even fathom being healed from.
2: Or he did just straight cauterize the wound so he wouldn't die, but he's still going to have problems. He's fucked. Yeah, he's that could be. Fucked. Why do they need him? Felix was very concerned we can't let him die just because if people see they're going to realize
1: oh yeah definitely okay. and why did she do that she didn't need to do that
2: i don't know it was a very bizarre thing to happen there i'm sure there was a purpose and it sounded like mave had a bigger idea for what she needs felix for or, or sylvester for rather as a pawn but uh, i'm not sure why
1: uh so he could be
2: the suicide bomber yeah I I don't mean that funny. I'm not trying to throw that terminology terminology around, but I really think that's what she might be looking to do here.
1: Yeah. You might be right.
2: And that would make him a host.
1: I said you might be right, so drink.
2: Is that why he didn't die? Because he's a host?
1: Mm, I don't know.
2: We had wondered if if both Felix and Sylvester could potentially be hosts.
1: I'm just trying not to be willy-nilly with that.
2: No, me either, but it's something we've been tracking. There have been a few offbeat comments that would take us in that direction. So let's track that, and we'll put a pin in me for now. She obviously has more later on this episode. First, we're going to go over to Dolores and William. Dolores says she feels they're close to home when they come across a dying soldier on the beach and she tries to aid him. When she walks to fill the canteen with water, she sees herself dead in the river and hears a voice say, come find me. She turns around and both William and the soldier are momentarily gone. They learn that the dead men were part of the ambush group ordered to kill them all because a man told them that El Lazo and the group had betrayed them. And that man was Logan. Yeah. So
1: Logan is back and I had been wondering when Logan's going to get back into this. So he's created his own storyline. We knew that he wanted to get down and dirty this last visit.
2: Yeah, (laughs) he wanted to get William into it. I didn't think he was going to come back as your quintessential villain to go up against William. I thought that was too easy.
1: Mm. Uh, A lot of our Clatchers were saying that they believed that William, when Dolores wasn't looking, Mm -hmm. killed the uh, wounded soldier. Why? Well, it was going off of the, the dual storyline because we know that William is progressively, he's kind of seeing the darker side of himself. Right. Right. Up until the first time, he kind of by mistake shot a host. Not kind of by mistake, it was like instinct it to save Dolores. It. Yeah. And he's been slowly getting into this darker side. Uh, um, you know, when he had that talk with Logan about his job, Mm -hmm. and and then he got all pissed, and then he's progressively getting, uh, I don't know, like more used to this.
2: So those are the people that do think he will become the Man in Black eventually when pushed too far. No, do they think he killed Dolores as well? And that's why we saw her face down in the river.
1: Oh, they didn't bring that up, I wonder. Ooh.
2: Now we know she is seeing memories of what happened in the past, but it appears as though if she is going to suffer that death that later on she tries to shoot herself... So this must have been a different iteration where she's dead here, a different memory.
1: Right, yes. So you think it's a memory, not uh, future?
2: Well, it could be both. You know, if it was a memory of something that happened with William in the past, and then she comes to and that's gone, because we do see later, when she first arrives at the town, mm-hmm. present day, there's nothing there, but then she flashes back to the memory of when the town was bustling and alive.
1: Right. Now... Let's go back. Logan was taken by... Who were the people that were taken Logan? Were they the Confederados?
2: I think so. so he now met, I'm getting all yeah, mixed up. Yeah, I don't up. remember now either. But that was all part of the thing with Slim Miller, you know, who yes. they wound up killing. And they took the body and then filled it with nitro. And this group is upset. The group that was ordered to ambush Dolores and William here because it seems as though... The two of them and El Lazo betrayed them by taking off.
1: Right. And then Logan probably talked his way out of it saying he wasn't a part of It Sounds like
2: it because they were trying to kill him Mm -hmm. when we left him. Yeah. But it doesn't seem he's happy. No. That William took off without him. I'm anxious for that confrontation when it comes.
1: Now talking about Dolores and the voice she heard. Yes. Did it sound different to you?
2: It sounded like two voices superimposed over each other. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've had a similar sounding voice before where we couldn't pinpoint who it was, that it started out as a singular voice that sounded like Bernard, but then kind of changed. Yeah. Uh, Does this mean it's the bicameral mind thing? So it's Arnold or whoever speaking to her, but eventually she's supposed to come to hear that as herself. her own voice, her conscious talking to herself. Mm -hmm. So it sounded like a man and a woman's voice overlaid on top of each other. I wonder if this is her gradually shifting into hearing it as her own voice. Well, we'll get back to her. Next, Stubbs, Ford, and Hale examine Teresa's body, piecing together what happened. Stubbs tells Ford that Teresa was discovered in the same spot where they found the woodcutter on Python Pass at the bottom of a ravine next to a transmitter filled with proprietary data. The medical and red team's findings attribute the death to a slip and fall and a cervical fracture. We found out the transmitter only works at near higher altitudes, so possibly she was trying to transmit the data and fell, and it was never sent. That's their theory.
1: This was Dr. Ford's chest move. Check, but not checkmate yet. But definitely this was his. So remember we were saying last episode that the look on his face... Was like okay. This is your move. I'll let you play it out. Yeah, I know what's and going on And I got some. Here. I got yeah. something next.
2: Well, so he this s- is his next move. He, he says it. He insists that the demonstration with Clementine was a QA hoax. There were clumsy fingerprints in her coding changes.
0: It seems yesterday's demonstration was a hoax designed by Miss Cullen. Was it? I examined the code. It had been altered. A clumsy set of fingerprints left by one of QA's technicians. When you find a cancer in an organization, you must cut it out before it can spread. To that end, the expansive access and oversight granted to QA will need to be reined in until a new, more principled team can be installed. It's gonna leave us shorthanded. Oh, I can automate most of the park's safety protocols, Mr. Summers. How efficient of you. It is a bit of work. But with Bernard's help, I should be able to do it. He will be reinstated as head of behavior now that Teresa's manipulations have come to light.
1: Of course. He's regaining control. He's going to get rid of all those people that the board has put in. hmm And they're going to have to start the process all over again, which buys him time. And I'm assuming he's going to be a part of that process, so he'll be able to sculpt maybe a better team in regards to what he needs.
2: And Hale back down, but we'll see she's got her own plans in a couple of scenes.
1: Of course, her next chess move. That's mm-hmm. why I say check, but not checkmate. Of course. This woman, Hale, you said you didn't really dig her the last couple of episodes. Um, And I had said to you, we don't know enough about her yet. We're seeing Mm -hmm. her as, they're setting her up. We need to see her as that strong character. And then you did say after this episode that you, you really started to like her now.
2: I like the portrayal a lot more. I couldn't figure out if it was the way they were writing her character or the acting. I'm pretty convinced now it was how they were writing her. Yeah in that first real scene, like you say, that we get with her, where she's talking to Teresa in that room, it seemed like a stereotyped image they were trying to portray. Like the show wanted to tell you, we have this strong female character. This Mm -hmm. is what she does. She's not afraid to have sex with hosts and walk around naked and display her power. But almost as though it was clumsily handled... Like They didn't know how to do that. Here, here's this woman. It did not feel genuine to me. And it's not that I obviously mind women in power. That's a great idea to portray, but it wasn't very well done. Here, it was a lot more subtle. I really liked the interaction between her and Ford. Her realizing that she had to keep quiet in the moment. Mm -hmm. I have to see where it goes, but I enjoyed her a lot more this time. And I especially like... When we get to it, them pairing her with Sizemore, that was a brilliant move.
1: Yes. Now, I see what you're saying, and I, I can definitely go on board with how you felt. But I think what you're seeing is a result of uh, time constraint. hmm And also, they needed a person to portray the board as a whole within a five-minute scene. We needed, because we haven't heard much from the board besides Teresa, which wasn't really representative of the board. She was like the middleman. Mm-hmm. So they needed to show the hand of the board. They needed to input that idea to us real quick. This is what the board's about. This is what their intentions are. It's about the code. That's what they need to protect, proprietary property.
2: Yeah, it just felt a little heavy-handed, and especially the speed at which Teresa backed down and how she was confronted by this woman. I just That was a real moment where they could have had a great power struggle, and like you say, getting into the background of the board, and they backed off a little. So it felt like a quick hammer, Mm. and I didn't like that.
1: I don't think she backed down. I think this was what Teresa kind of wanted as a whole. She already knew that this is what they wanted, and I think this was already part of her plan. So it wasn't like she came in with a whole new idea.
2: Yes, that's true.
1: So we're just seeing that uh, she came in saying, we got to get this moving now. Mm -hmm. Let's get this plan in motion. And you hate women.
2: Well, that's clearly not true. And we are going to come back to Hale in a minute. First, though, we go over to Teddy and the Man in Black, who are riding out in search of Wyatt. And the man's words prompt Teddy to remember their earlier encounter at the ranch. He says, I always admired your resolve, Theodore, but you never understood the game is rigged. You're here to be the loser. The house always wins. Yeah. That makes him think. Then they come across many dead bodies that look like they've been there for a a long time. They also appear to be average citizens. They're just strewn across the ground, and they find a woman, Angela, who's still alive. The man recognizes her as a longtime host. He says, I figured they would have retired you. And of course, we spoke about this is the greeter that we first saw with William and Logan when they first arrived at the park. And they learn that Wyatt's men killed everyone. At this point, a Minotaur-like figure in bullhorns attacks. And I have to pause for a second because okay. we went off on this whole Greek mythology tangent that didn't seem to be going anywhere. And a big part of that was the Minotaur. It certainly looks like that. Oh, yeah. What we're seeing in this episode, he's got the body of a man, the head of a bull. And of course, the story he we sounds spoke sounds like a bull. Yeah. The story we spoke about from mythology is that this bull guards the labyrinth and eventually is killed by Theseus. So, again, just an idea of if that's where we're going with Teddy and his storyline.
1: And that's our main man, Oren, who's on tap with
2: us on this. Yes, JJ's also been getting in on the Greek mythology, but Oren is the one that kickstarted the whole thought about that. And to finish this scene, the Man in Black subdues Bullman with a rope while Teddy takes him out with an axe. This confrontation stirs yet another memory for Teddy, who recalls the man in black dragging Dolores off to the barn, and he punches him in the face.
1: So the way he dragged him was identical to the way he dragged Maeve. Mm. Now, how come Teddy didn't get confused like everyone else did when they started having these memories? Instead, he reacted on it real
2: quick. The way he dragged Dolores, just a correction what you said there. Yeah, it, it's almost like a trauma right? Because this is a trigger, exactly what you're saying. It looked just like that, which is what triggered the memory to come back up. Right, And that's exactly what the reveries were supposed to do. Something was supposed to trigger tying back to a memory in their past and prompt them to respond in a certain way that would be more lifelike. But if the memories and the emotions were stronger, that might trigger reactions that are more emotional and violent, such as Yeah, they bumped that up with Clem, but it was exactly the idea. She remembered this man beating her and reacted super aggressively. Teddy remembers somebody assaulting his girl, Dolores, and he's going to react badly. I I think he has potentially received a bump only in the sense that it relates to this new narrative and what's going to tie into the backstory, and he has been sent to keep the man in black moving along this mission, but thwart him at the same time. Okay. So he remembers what's convenient for them.
1: So he's not becoming woke. <clears throat>
2: uh, I don't think so. Not yet. No, even it's
1: part of the st- storyline, just like Dolores we were feeling. Yeah. Was going
2: I'm questioning the awakenings with Dolores now because of the double voice, but even her for a while, I was saying, I think it's mostly backstory she might be hitting a threshold. I don't think Teddy's there yet.
1: No. Are we thinking that Wyatt and his crew, they they just take out anybody? Because it feels like they're just leaving a trail of dead bodies everywhere they go.
2: It's certainly what it seems like, the ultimate villain. And yet we have memories that show Teddy not just being commanded by this man who went crazy, but participating in the atrocities. Yes. So what will happen when they finally reach Wyatt?
1: And this... Dude with horns, he was not affected by the gun. Yeah,
2: and how does he play into the storyline? You know, who is he? If you go back to the Greek mythology, Mm -hmm. he's guarding the maze. So have they reached the outskirts of this maze? They're about to enter whatever it is, and he's trying to stop them. I
1: think so. In Greek mythology, oftentimes they are in a trap, right? So they think they're going about it. And they're in control, but they're actually into a trap. And Mm -hmm. we do learn that this was a trap all along.
2: And the labyrinth is the ultimate maze. Yeah. So maybe. That's very interesting. We're definitely going to go back to the man in black. This scene, though, is the one I was talking about. Next, Hale interrupts Sizemore as he's working with a host. And he was assigned to a special project. (laughs) He says Ford asked him to create a villain for their new narrative. He's very excited about this. Until Hale cues him in, Ford doesn't need him. He has Wyatt, his ultimate villain, and what he's given him is just busy work. But she'll give him a real job. Of course, this hooks him instantly. And in a later scene, we see them both go down to cold storage to select a host who will carry out the data. The one she randomly decides upon is Peter Abernathy. What do you think about those odds?
1: First of all, this is Hale's... Next chess move. What is the likeliness that out of all the people she chooses Peter?
2: And we see there are so many decommissioned hosts down there. I feel like she must know she's choosing him for a reason, right? I think that's really random.
1: He was the first one to start bugging out. Yeah. And if they were testing that code that makes the users bug out, maybe. But she did say that he's one of the older hosts, right?
2: She was looking for that. But like you say, she's smart about the way she's doing things. She went right to the disgruntled employee, the one that she could easily play to get on her side. She fed him exactly what he needed. Well, you're gonna give him a new narrative. Isn't that what you're good at? And it worked. What are you uploading? 35 years of vitally important data. It's more information than any single drive could hold. A host brain, however, especially once it's been emptied out like this poor schmuck, it's quite capacious.
1: This data that you're uploading, is at the host codes?
2: As of this moment, that doesn't concern you. What does concern you is giving him a semblance of a personality and getting him on the train, out of the park.
1: How am I supposed to do
0: that? You're a writer. Make up a story.
1: And she's uploading 35 years of knowledge or something? (sighs) Yeah,
2: vitally important data. She won't tell him what, but she says it's the circle of life or the approximation of it. Even the dead fulfill a purpose. And Lee is supposed to give him a personality and get him out on a train out of the park.
1: Out of the park.
2: Yeah. Make him passable so that he can go out into the real world and do we don't know what. But his job is to be a vessel for that data that they're going to upload.
1: If she couldn't poison the well inside the park, she's going to poison it.
2: Right? Okay. That's what the transmitters were about. And she was trying to get Teresa to help her. They had clearly put the transmitters in the host, Hale. They caught on to that. They got them before they were able to send it out. They can't play that trick anymore. So what's left to them? They have to get one out of the park.
1: So you think the data is the stolen data?
2: Oh, yeah. That's what he's uploading that he doesn't know. Ooh.
1: So this probably won't really come to fruition until season two. But does that mean we get to see the outside world for real? Through
2: Peter. And Ooh. how amazing is that going to be? It's going to be fun.
1: We did hear that it's going to take longer to film, right?
2: Yes. It's not coming out until 2018, the new season.
1: 2018. Yep. Our Clatchers are going to forget about us.
2: For
1: <laughs> we're going to forget about it. We're
2: going to come back to it. Don't worry. In the meantime, we're <laughs> going to have Game of Thrones. There's lots of good stuff. Does Hale know about the explosives? She must, right? In the spine? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so she's taking that out Ugh. for Peter.
1: Well, she's going to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird that they didn't, they didn't mention that.
1: But if Peter freaked out about a picture of the future, <laughs> dropping him off and him coming out of a train they, into the future.
2: They must have a plan for that.
1: Or present, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I guess so. What kind of narrative? What is I mean, it he was
2: extremely insightful already and if they fiddle with his bulk apperception or any of his personality matrix maybe they're going to make it you know she says write him a new narrative i'm sure they're going to change everything so that he's able to function Mm -hmm. in the world but where will he go what will he do what are they intending for that data this is our whole thought about a host actually entering the outside world and we thought ford was up to that but we're seeing it a whole lot sooner here with hale
1: i can't wait for lewis to be back in this
2: me too All right, back to Maeve, who wakes again to a new song.
1: I felt like it was a new song. It felt slower. Uh, I think it was.
2: I don't know if this is one of the songs on our list. Let us know if you know. But she's back at the Mariposa, and she begins to test out her new administrative privileges, quote-unquote. This is the scene where she tells the bartender, you know, he's hassling her, that she's run up a tab Tab, and she needs to pay for it. But she instructs him. Almost in the third person, Maeve has excellent credit. In fact, she's owed by the bar and changes his memory, his story, everything. She sends him to the back. She sends Clementine to a table to ready for Hector's gang to arrive.
1: I love the scene. We've already talked about it, so I won't dwell on it too long. But this new power that she has, I felt like,
2: you know, like, yeah, get it. It was amazing to see that. And it's going to be exercised even more in her upcoming scene where the sight of a woman with a young girl provokes memories of the attack on her homestead where Maeve shot the man in black and he wasn't harmed urging her daughter to run Maeve was then stabbed in the stomach and she snaps out of the memory and clears the path for Hector's ambush this is where we see her tell the sheriff the riders are outstanding god-fearing citizens mm-hmm. and he backs off Uh, The marshals decided to practice their quick draw on each other, and they pull out their guns and shoot each other. Anything she's telling them to do, they're doing. As Hector rides in, there's this light music playing in the background, almost like it's an upbeat, fun arrival. It's just a really great scene. and Like we said, Maeve has become the narrator of her own new story.
1: It kind of put a little bit of uh, relief, not comic relief, but a little bit of relief on the tension Mm -hmm. of this episode. And it kind of made, uh, you know, for fun with the sheriff walking away and Armistice being like, "Uh, I'll just shoot him anyway, shoots him in the back.
2: The sheriff's acting there was great. He was like, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, okay, they're all right.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty incredible. But also, it made me think about what was said a couple of episodes ago, that It's the loops themselves that inspire change, Mm -hmm. the reiteration of the same thing over and over again. Eventually, there's deviation. There's improvisation. Right. And this is what's happened to the fullest extent here. We see Hector's gang riding in, same time, same place, there to shoot up the town, and yet everything is wildly different because Maeve has changed it.
1: Now, Maeve doesn't speak to Hector in regards to joining her squad. Was this her gaining favor first?
2: I think so. I was kind of surprised about that as well, especially given how the episode will end with her. I had wondered if she said something to her that we just didn't see on screen, but I think we're definitely going to go back to that. For sure. Then Bernard and Ford, now free to work on their new narrative, are together, Talking about how Hale will try to interfere, but Ford says they will keep her at bay not to worry. Bernard asks Ford about the specificity of his memories. You know, his wife, his child, did any of that really happen? Ford explains they were just his backstory. The self is a kind of fiction, a story we tell ourselves. Your imagined suffering makes you lifelike, but not alive. Yet pain only exists in the mind. It's always imagined. So what is the difference between you and me? Dr. Ford waxing poetic again. That is a very excellent question, though. Oh, of course. You, you think he has gotten to the place where there's such a clear distinction between human and host, but he's even questioning now, you know, all of pain really is just the way we're perceiving it, so what makes you any different?
1: We are going to really have this issue if AI does come to fruition in the future. What will be the difference? If they feel pain, if they feel anger, if they feel hurt... What's the difference?
2: And that goes back to Angela's statement to William when he first arrived at the park. If you Mm -hmm. can't tell if I'm host or human, then what does it matter?
1: So I think this is something that Ford wrestles with often. In this scene, I was really thinking Bernard is Dr. Ford's Pinocchio, for sure. Yeah. And Bernard, for the first time, realized he's not a real boy.
2: And not only that, you say this is something Ford wrestled with. He himself states that it's the very question that consumed Arnold. Right. Filled him with guilt, drove him mad. Whereas the answer was always obvious to Ford himself, he says there's no threshold that makes us greater than the sum of our parts. There's no point where we become truly alive. You can't define consciousness because it doesn't exist. We ourselves live in loops. Seldom questioning our choices, content to be told what to do next. You're not missing anything. He's telling him, Bernard, really, it's the same thing. It is. It's fine. You're just like us because he is grappling with that in this moment. I'm not a real boy. I'm not a real boy. He's like, well, you are, though. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as what's going on with us. But he doesn't have that choice. He doesn't have the option to remember if he wants to. Because the next question out of his mouth is, well, I never heard anybody else, right? Ford lies and says no, but Bernard then briefly remembers choking Elsie. Elsie.
1: Yeah, and dragging her.
2: And he's not allowed to hold on to that because Ford deems it dangerous and he wipes it.
1: When Dr. Ford speaks about humans being in a loop as well, Mm -hmm. that actually made me come out of the show for a second and think about my life. (laughs) I was like, holy shit, man. I've always been in a loop. Yeah. You know, when you're young, you're in the loop of you have to go to school. Now at... At work, you have to go to work every day. you have to be there on time. You leave at the same time. Every month, you have to pay the same bills. Christmas is here, even like things that are supposed to be good. Oh, the older you get, you know, Christmas is here. Now you have to drive to family members. You are following
2: storylines. We're repeating dialogues when you. See somebody, hi, how you doing? We mm-hmm. don't really care no. about that question. We don't know these people, but that's something we're supposed to say.
1: Yeah, you would never say to a stranger, actually, you know, I'm not doing good today. Pretty shitty. Let me tell you how it started. <laughs> people would be like, what? Right? No, man.
2: Now, again, though, the difference, we could say that if we wanted to. Right. We could get up tomorrow and not go to work if we didn't feel like it. They don't have that ability. Could and you? that's the real difference, the choice, the control. They can't remember even the pain if he wants to hold on to it. His son, the death of Teresa, he's not allowed to. Now, we find out that's not foolproof. Traces of that are remaining. But ultimately, there's, there's somebody in, in control of his life. And that's what Maeve has figured out, and that's what she wants changed. I want out of this. I want to be able to make my own choices and live my own life. Even if that means it's worse, she wants that option. And, you know, we could get into a big debate, but that goes back to supposedly the start of man and our wanting to have free will, right? That was our temptation. The whole tree? The ability to sin. We wanted that to be our choice. So it feels a little bit like that's what's happening here. We do see Ford saying, best not to dwell on these troublesome memories. Otherwise, you might be drawn back on them and lose yourself, as some other hosts have. He knows. He knows what's going on. Yeah. He knows everything. The fact that they're remembering. They just keep reminding us of that. In case you've forgotten or mm -hmm. questioned if there's things happening in the park he's not aware of, there's not. When we cut there and go back to Dolores, who stops the journey saying, we're here, I'm home. She wanders into what's first an empty town and then sees it, we assume in her memory, bustling with action. A lab tech adjusts the host as they practice dancing in the square. We briefly see the host, Angela, that was tied up, that the man in black recognized. We also see the little girl, Lawrence's daughter, who asks, find what you were looking for, Dolores. (laughs) And we hear church bells. We see the church in the background. Gunfire erupts, and Dolores then finds herself standing among dead bodies, slowly realizing that another version of herself did the killing. And she watches as this version raises the gun to her head in the scene. Back in the present, William grabs it out of her hand, as she's raising it to her head in the present as well, and the bodies disappear. Dolores cries. She's uncertain. She's very upset. She says she doesn't know when we are. Am I going mad? Are you real? Until suddenly she remembers, this is what Arnold wants. It's like a dream, and he wants her to remember. But William ushers her away. He says it's like she breaks down when she goes too far from Sweetwater. I thought that was pretty incredible that he's recognizing that.
1: But it's also his, his misunderstanding of what's going on.
2: Of course. He doesn't know.
1: I think it's important for us to not push aside the little girl who keeps speaking to him, to Dolores, because this has happened a few times where this girl is kind of breaking the time continuum. And What I mean by that is in her memories, she's speaking to this girl, but it's not as if this girl spoke to her in in the the past.
2: past. She's talking to her now.
1: Yes. She's talking to her now as the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's something...
2: This girl's different. Yes, exactly. And we knew that from the beginning, that she seemed woke from the very start. Hashtag woke. When the man in black questioned her about the maze. There's something very different about this host, and it's like she has been placed inside of there when people liken Westworld to a video game. She is like the ultimate Easter egg that if you keep finding her, she will give you the clues and the instructions. Yeah. And she also seems to have a memory that doesn't get wiped. She remembers the past events with Dolores. She remembers the present. She's there to give you the secrets. So why and will we see her again soon in the present day?
1: Now... Why would Dolores be the one killing all these people or these hosts?
2: I don't know. And it's very interesting because that looks like the same memory flashback we got from Teddy Mm -hmm. when he was standing in the same town square shooting up the dead bodies. So did either of them ever actually do this at one point? Are they all implanted memories? And if so, why are they getting them? Does Ford want them all congregating back at this town? with the memories of what they've done in the past to rebuild for some reason.
1: I remember Dr. Ford had that scene with Bernard when he starts talking about the new narration. Mm-hmm. He was there. He was in that field that's now all sand. And I believe that the buildings are still there, but they're buried under the sand. And that's why you see the top of the church still sticking out.
2: Sure, that's what he was looking at with little boy Ford. The day they were looking out over and you could see the top of the steeple just Mm -hmm. poking out of the sand. Um, How did they get covered? Why?
1: That's a gnarly sandstorm, man.
2: I don't think so. (laughs) I think that had to be intentional. Yeah. And so that means... he's digging it up now. That means he didn't just implant it. False memories of a town that once existed. They were there once. And they were just shoveled over. It feels very much like the abandoned levels of the Delos company that remain underneath the surface and they just built right on top of it and never mind all of that down there that's odd same deal with this stuff So
1: there's something deeper with this town Mm -hmm. you notice when she first started walking into the town there was a host that noticed her
2: yeah and she said she's home Mm -hmm. and we see a tech actually out in the park training hosts yes they're all there dancing together so this was the very beginning is this when dolores was first created And first came alive, and that's why she remembers it as home.
1: I believe so, because Dr. Ford, again, many episodes ago, when he was speaking about the original hosts, Mm -hmm. he was remembering this one scene with them dancing, and learning how to dance. So this is a pivotal moment in the history of Dr. Ford's place, storylines.
2: And all those first-generation hosts that still have the Arnold programming that are being called to their mecca, come Mm -hmm. back home. I feel like in some way, shape, or form, Arnold is still there. Somewhere. He's still there at that site
1: of home. Oh, I see what you're saying.
2: And I don't know how that's possible, but I'm just putting it out there. Come find me. (laughs) Come find me. I'm here. I'm home.
1: Well, why would he let her leave then?
2: I don't know. And it feels like that was not intentional. William is pulling her away. Uh, We have to think she's going to come back. But for now... He does lead her away from there, and they are discovered by Union soldiers, Logan among them.
1: Before we go into that scene...
2: Oh, it cuts there anyway.
1: Okay. We're starting to see that she's starting to lose it. Like, she doesn't know. Am I in the now? Am I... Is this now? That's kind of trippy, and...
2: She said she... uh, Yeah, we, we just said she doesn't know when she is. Yeah. That's an amazing question.
1: I'm wondering... Will that prevent her from being able to push forward in whatever needs to be done now? Because William, it seems like, is, is ready to go back now. We're done. We did it. We made it.
2: Yeah, he's pulling her away. Let's get back. They're going to come to odds, like we said at some point. Mm-hmm. But will she be allowed to continue? I think the only reason she's allowed to go so far off script right now is because she's in the company of a guest. Yeah. Outside of the company of a guest, what will happen? But they're definitely going to get tied up with the Logan plot line for now. He's putting a wrench in it. In the meantime, though, Stubbs expresses condolences to Bernard about Teresa. He hints that he knew what they had together and what a loss this must be for Bernard. Uh, But Bernard states adamantly that Stubbs misunderstood. Their relationship is just professional. They were colleagues. Nothing more. Hmm. Stubbs kind of leaves it at that, but it makes me wonder if he's in trouble now for poking around. (laughs) Elsie poked around, she got in trouble, Teresa, now it's Stubbs.
1: Well, it's good to see Stubbs back in the fold. And yes, I don't think Bernard caught on that he was wrong in this. Okay. Or he was caught because Bernard's not hiding anything. He doesn't remember. This is actually how he doesn't remember. And Stubbs knew that they had a relationship.
2: And he thinks he's just trying to keep it quiet.
1: Maybe. But then to follow that up with the whole thing about Elsie and Stubbs still looking at him weird... I think Stubbs is going to start Push to figure it shit a out. Bit
2: too far. Also, yeah. Stubbs said they haven't always seen eye to eye. So what is the history between him and Bernard?
1: Hmm, that's a good question.
2: And yeah, he leaves it there. He says he hasn't heard from Elsie, and Stubbs walks off. Next, we go back to Teddy and Man in Black. Teddy asks him where he took Dolores. What happened in this memory that's coming to him? The Man in Black goes back at him that it's teddy that's leading these people to her he's essentially a glorified pimp that's his narrative in this story is to just be the man that loses and that the rules hold him back but the man knows how to change them to which teddy says you act like you own this world and the man says not just this one and then he (laughs) gives us his whole backstory i know it was info dump yet again but i loved it He says he was a god. I'm
0: a god. Titan of industry. Philanthropist. Family man. Married to a beautiful woman. Father to a beautiful daughter. I'm the good guy, Denny. Then, last year my wife took the wrong pills. Fell asleep in the bath. Tragic accident. 30 years of marriage vanished. How do you say it? Uh, like a deep and distant dream. Then at the funeral, I tried to console my daughter. She pushed me away. Told me that my wife's death was no accident she killed herself
2: because of me. And every day with me had been like sheer terror, knowing I could blow up or collapse like a dark star at any moment. I never hurt them. They never saw the man I was here, but they knew anyway. That's what's so interesting. They knew this person he was, and this person that he was, he poetically tells us is super dark. And in fact, it upset him so much, he had to prove her wrong, so he came back to the park, because supposedly it reveals your true self, right? And that time, he didn't just join one of Ford's stories. He created one of his own, a test. He found an ordinary homesteader woman and her daughter. He wanted to see if he had it in him to do something truly evil, so he killed her, her and her daughter, just to see what he felt. But when he thought it was all done, she refused to die.
1: So now we're seeing what Maeve was uh, remembering many episodes ago that scene with him.
2: Yeah, and once going into he finishes this part of the story, we're going to start rapidly switching back and forth between yeah. Maeve in the present, her flashbacks, and the man in black telling this story, which I thought was really great storytelling device. Oh, yeah. Because like I said, while it is a little info dumpy, he's telling. But then they're showing with the interspersals of Maeve's scenes. So you have a little bit of that action. Brilliant. Very, very beautiful.
1: So this is the scene that a lot of people are saying cements the idea that he is William. How do you feel about that?
2: I don't think it cements anything. I think it's good common sense. If that does wind up happening, that they have laid the foundation for it that he was pushed a little far, he started to experiment and found, as he did with Dolores, that the park wasn't interesting when you could see its circuitry. Mm -hmm. If you followed the storylines, it was boring. But the minute they seemed to come alive and be lifelike, that's when it hooked him. When he thought Dolores was this regular woman that was real, falling in love with him... It captured him and made him feel more truly alive than he ever did in the outside world. So if he goes home now, back to the outside world, and he feels that deadened feeling inside, he comes back to the park the next time. But he finds Dolores, and it's kind of a little more fake this time, and he has to push things to the next level. We see the man in black later on telling us that he had to push hosts to the point of pain and suffering because only then did they reveal their real lifelike humanity. Right. You could easily see that link Mm -hmm. being drawn and him going further and further and this wife that doesn't really feel real to him anymore, that he doesn't really love, he pushes her away and he becomes this awful person in real life. You can see that happening for sure. But there's nothing concrete there.
1: No. But... Again, now I swing back to thinking that he is a bad guy. I don't know. I just don't know how to feel about that.
2: Well, he tells Teddy I'm the good guy. But then he tells this story about the outside world and him actually being a very horrible guy, a guy that his wife and daughter lived in fear of. Uh, The wife accidentally took the wrong pills and fell asleep in the bath. The daughter won't talk to him now. They were terrified of him. And if he is, in fact, the same person, they're looking at him now in present day. Angela's saying, you killed a woman and her daughter here just to see what it would feel like and you felt nothing. You're an animal. And he's got this foundation on the outside that supposedly helps people and saves lives. But he doesn't even want to talk about it here because perhaps that's all a front to try to make him feel like he isn't such a horrible person. But even that doesn't do it. It doesn't fill him.
1: I s- I'm still wondering. This could be Logan, too.
2: It certainly could. It certainly could.
1: Now, he speaks about Arnold's game. That game cuts deep. So there's more to Arnold's game. There's more heart, which I is what Ford was saying. Is his thing. They're is laying
2: in this whole Arnold's game thing a little thick now. I wish they would just leave it alone for a bit.
1: Yeah, let it kind of linger and, and, and cook There's, in the background. Yeah,
2: we still don't know what it is. They're not giving us anything new. They just keep saying, Arnold's game. It's deeper. It's better. It's crazier. All right. You know, let's, uh, we'll get there, right?
1: And the man in black, when he started speaking about who he is in the real world, I was like, oh, shit, we're about to get it. But he still, at the same time, didn't reveal any more mm-hmm. than we knew.
2: They're telling a lot without answering a ton at the yeah. same time.
1: Very well done. Not complaining about it. That is Love clever. That. Yes. It's it's hard to do that. Yeah. And, and keep you feeling satisfied, absolutely.
2: Exactly. And just when you're starting to feel like, okay, either tell us something or wrap it up, they do. Like here, they cut to Maeve, who walks out of the mariposa, followed by Clem version two. And when shots ring out, Maeve begins to relive her daughter's death. This Clem- time
1: Clem version boo. Ooh. Yeah.
2: Sorry. Agreed. I mean, she's beautiful, but it's not Clem. Come on. Uh, This time as someone who rises to fight back. Maeve cuts the man, snaps out of her memory, only to discover in real life she slashed Clementine in the throat.
1: Now let's pause here. For a woman, a host, whatever, who's gaining all this power and control, I feel like she's losing control in differentiating the past and the present. Is this a side effect?
2: Like she says, when they're recalling these things, they don't actively know that it's not real. Again, it's a bit like PTSD where you can have a really intense flashback. Most of the times you're just seeing things play out like a film in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it gets so real that you start to dissociate. You believe that that's the present moment and you start having what's called an ab reaction in which you will actually start acting out that Mm -hmm. memory, that flashback, present day. We see that happen with Dolores. She remembers putting the gun to her head, and William walks up, and sure enough, she's got the gun to her head. Same thing here. Now, that makes me wonder, if the event that happened 30 years ago, that they're all remembering, could that have been something similar? I mean, did they start having these memories and just enacting them out? Um, Either way, it's a bit scary. She definitely didn't mean to kill this poor girl. She's looking at her in horror. And then she goes back to the memory again. And there she begins to carry her daughter out of the building. You go back over to the man in black who says that when he killed her, he felt nothing. But then something miraculous happened. He'd never seen anything like it in the park before. She was truly alive for a moment And that's when the maze revealed itself to him. (laughs) And you see back in Maeve's memory, she collapses in the center of this field. And as it zooms out, you see that her and the daughter have lain down right in the middle of the maze. And of course, that's where he talks about Arnold's deeper game. So this is, again, that sort of maze figure drawn into the sand, like what we saw the little girl drawing for Dolores in a flashback. They're all recreating it. It's popping up all over the place. It even seems to pop up on the tablet at one point, which we'll talk about later. Images that look like that. Yes. Um, It begs the question, was he actually talking about finding the center of the maze or is this it? What he experienced in that moment, she was symbolic of it. She came alive. She wasn't just a robot or a host. She was real to him. And that's what he'd been looking for all along. And that moment wasn't enough. He wanted more. Yeah. So then Maeve escapes to her room. Seeing what she's done, she creates a distraction. She runs away. And she remembers being taken back to the lab with Ford after what happened with her daughter in the past. She was inconsolable in the aftermath of her death. This is where we see past Ford pull up on the tablet about Maeve, and it says heavy fragmentation, and also the image next to it that looks a little bit like a maze perhaps. And he calms her down by playing Reverie, by Claude Debussy. (laughs) Get it right this time. And Ford and Bernard then wipe her memory. He says, you need not suffer, I'll take it from you, before assigning her a new role as the madam at the Mariposa. She pleads, please, this pain, it's all I have left of her. But he wipes her anyway, and that's how she wound up in her current position. However, she then rouses, takes a scalpel from the table, and cuts her own throat.
1: Well, all right. So we got a few things. Doctor Ford said, "I'll use an old trick from an old friend." hmm He's referring to Arnold, right? Mm-hmm. And some, uh, you know, tricks when everything else doesn't work. They can't shut her down. They can't calm her down, Play right? Play
2: the music.
1: Is that what he did, or he?
2: Yeah, he played the he played the song "Reverie."
1: Off of the iPad. Or pad, whatever?
2: I think, yeah, I think he played it off of the iPad. But we had thought it was the player piano, and there could be some code in there. It seems like it's the song itself, so hmm. maybe they are programmed to respond to that, certain tunes, I don't know.
1: And then when she uttered, the, I, I can't forget, this is the the pain is the only thing I, ca- I have to remember. That's the exact same thing Bernard said yep. about his son. Yeah,
2: that's what we mentioned earlier.
1: Again, these are the storylines, the words... That we're starting to see that are part of the patterns of these hosts. Interconnected. Yeah. And the more we get to know them, the more we'll see these patterns.
2: And even less than a pattern, this is what reminded me of a collective unconscious. These shared experiences that they've had that they can't fully remember, but there's archetypes. There's an archetype of suffering and loss there, what it's like to feel that pain. And then of something greater, this godlike figure that swoops in and just removes it.
1: So I don't think it's in their coding to kill themselves, though.
2: No, and that was very unexpected. He thought he had that situation handled, and then she rose up and cut herself.
1: For a man who's so much about detail, so much about control, I feel like there's certain circumstances where he kind of brushes over things. Like, oh, we'll just change the storyline for her.
2: The Arnold comes out. It feels like it's times where he can't override that programming that's still in them from Arnold, and he doesn't know what to do. But we don't even get to see what the end result of that is, because she comes back to the present. Snapping out of her memory, she's taken from her present-day bedroom by cleanup techs to behavior for diagnostics.
1: Do you think this was on purpose? Had to have been.
2: To get to Ford? Yeah. She certainly let herself get caught.
1: She wouldn't have gone back into her room. She created a distraction
2: to, right, to get away, and then she went back. Now, I know she was sort of fritzing out, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: and she couldn't entirely control those memories, but I do think part of it may have been intentional.
1: I was starting to freak out because we started seeing the text going, like, you know, we can't control this host. We got to get her in. and I was like, shit, she's caught.
2: But she doesn't have her army yet, so what is she up to? What is she playing at here? We have one final scene. After the man in black finishes telling his story, he tells them he's left everything behind and the maze is all that matters now. It will give both of them, himself and Teddy, what their lives currently lack, meaning and consequence, even if it kills them. At that, Angela tells Teddy to kill the man in black, but Teddy can't pull the trigger. He can't do it. So Angela stabs Teddy in the chest with an arrow You've been gone a long while, Theodore, she taunts. It's time you came back to the fold. Wyatt will need you soon. At which he awakes, and Wyatt's men surround the camp.
1: So this was all a setup. Yes. I have in my notes, holy shit, in all caps. <laughs> um, so, of course, we know that Wyatt does know Teddy. Yes. And this was all... The, Angela was a rogue agent, a ruse,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to bring... Them to the cheese, apparently.
2: Yeah. Well, really, the Man in Black.
1: So that's why she was alive there.
2: Mm-hmm. Put back into the storyline.
1: Yeah, and also around those dead bodies, that's why she was, you know, laying there alive. Yeah. And wasn't really injured. Mm-hmm. Oh, Man in Black definitely did not see this coming. The look on his face was like, "Oh shit!" No,
2: he did not. But now,
1: Wyatt, can he hurt him? Maybe.
2: I don't think so. Well, he can hurt him. He can't kill him.
1: No. He's not going to die.
2: It's going to get interesting.
1: I'm very excited. Things are getting more and more exciting.
2: Yes. Like we say, they raise more questions than they answer. I'm hoping that episode 109 is your epic penultimate episode of the season. Scary to think that we only have two episodes left, Jason. Yeah. I can't even believe how fast the season went. I guess because we're enjoying it so much. That concludes the overview. Before we get into our reverie rating, we had a little bit of information from discoverwestworld.com this week.
1: And last week, they ended up sending a second email after we recorded.
2: They did. It didn't have a ton of new information.
1: But it had that awesome game.
2: There's one very crucial part that takes you to the Delos Inc. website. And it leads you to a training. If you have not tried this out yet, definitely do so. Just to whet your appetite, it tells you that you have received an extended intimacy violation, a failure of pattern recognition, which allowed a situation to escalate from minor misconduct to major offense. And as a senior surveillance technician, it is your responsibility to ensure the security panel sensitivity is calibrated appropriately. At this point, it takes you to a guest simulation QA training model. They tell you their logistic software is seamless and works with host programming to ensure guest groups cross paths as little as possible, but there's no fully accounting for the human factor of intra-group conflict. And then you're presented with scenarios that you have to decide upon. So it's really cool. You should take a look. We also got our note from Aiden for this week, issue 108. He says, as I mentioned last week, the park is undergoing a number of exciting changes but these adjustments have left the physical terrain more unpredictable, so please watch your step. For hikers and stargazers, please note Python Pass is currently closed for maintenance. Take this opportunity to try out an area you've never explored before. Well, that explains why their featured location are the unclaimed territories. Hmm. Legend says a quaint town full of friendly people existed in these parts once, but there's no evidence to support the claims. Few have made it this far, and even fewer have returned. Nothing to see here but sand. Well, wow. what do you think of this episode overall, Jason? What is your reverie rating?
1: I'm sticking with nine point eight.
2: Consistent. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, but there's nothing to say. Everyone knows we of probably said it tell it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I loved everything. We had ups and downs. We had. Dr. Ford kicking ass the first half, mm-hmm. and then Hale making her move. We mm-hmm. don't know how what it's going to do yet, but we see her making her move. We got the man in black kicking ass, then Teddy, then now Angela and Wyatt. So we for sure are going to get some Wyatt time next episode. We must. And we got Maeve being a god.
2: Yeah, she has definitely continued to be amazing. I really liked this episode as well. Just slightly less than last time. uh, The last two episodes I thought were really great, some of the best of the season. This one felt a little bit bounced around, the way they broke up the scenes. Those of you who know me will know I don't particularly enjoy that, Um, as well as A little bit of the extended exposition, although most of the times they did that, it was very well handled. But I'm going to give it a 9.7. That's
1: right up there. So
2: just down a tick from last time. The critics had also varying viewpoints on that. One said the reason the hosts are coming apart at the seams, or arguably finally coming together, is because they are not allowed to heal from their trauma. That echoes us right on. Another said Trace Decay is the sort of episode that does mostly expositional yeoman's work. Yet, it's deliberately crafted, and there are a hell of a lot of incredibly smart things going on.
1: the hell is yeoman?
2: Yeoman? man! <laughs> no, no. Nah. It's doing the heavy lifting for them, so a little bit of that information dump that I was yeah. talking about. But overall, they really liked it. Obviously, the ratings were very good for this episode. And that takes me into... The part of it I enjoyed most, my MVB for this week, is Dr. Ford.
1: You finally folded.
2: You have been on a Dr. Ford tear, and I have been saving him. I was reluctant with two episodes left, yet this was absolutely his episode. We had so much information. The interaction between him and Bernard was great, and his acting just blew me away. I love the quote where he says, us too, a programmer who knows intimately how the machines work, and a machine that knows its own true nature. Hmm. I can't help but thinking if that's also a comparison to him and Arnold.
1: My MVB, I wrestled with this a lot. I had so many people I wanted to do. Maeve, Dr. Ford.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So many. I'm going to go with Jeffrey Wright.
2: You can't do that. I'm
1: gonna do it. I can do it. It's my world. <laughs>
2: okay. I'm
1: not living in a loop.
2: All right. He, he so not is just a B, Bernard. I'm talking
1: Jeffrey Wright. Right. His acting on this was amazing. Only bested by episode one with Lewis Hertham. Oh yeah. But Jeffrey Wright, downright awesome. <laughs> and he's my MVB.
2: Well, that leaves nothing else except for Clatcher's comments.
1: I want to give a shout out to four Privet Drive. Love that name, by amazing.
0: the
1: way. JD underscore SPT. Lauren Morris, AP7467. Holly Carey, 1970. For giving us great reviews on our Westworld channel. Please keep the reviews coming. It really helps us. And let me show you how it helps us. Lauren Morris, in her review, wrote, Came here because of the reviews. That's how she found us, yeah. by reading our reviews.
2: That's That's amazing.
1: And that's how important it is for you guys to leave reviews so we can create this Clatcher empire Mm -hmm. and get more and more listeners. That's the only way, because there's so many Westworld podcasts out there now that uh, it's it's very difficult to stand out from the rest. And we're hoping that with your help, we can do so.
2: We also want to give a, a shout out to Aaron, who provided us with a great YouTube clip. He said he found a little analysis of a Dr. Ford Hopkins acting in a scene that he thought we might enjoy. So we'll post that on our Twitter. You should definitely check it out. Um, it's not very long, but it's a good look into what makes Anthony Hopkins such an amazing actor that he is.
1: I want to thank at SawSound for giving us a shout out on Twitter. They wrote, the best hashtag Westworld review hashtag podcast.
0: <laughs> if you're not
1: watching hashtag Westworld yet, avoid all spoilers and get on it. Be hashtag woke.
2: Oh, he quoted us. <laughs> I love I it. I love it.
1: So thank you, SawSound. Appreciate it. And they're a band. So if you guys want to check it out, they're at SawSound. Oh, nice. One more Twitter. One of our favorite Clatchers, Orin, wrote, at CKC Podcast, Maves. Heavily fragmented drive memory it looks a lot like the maze. And he also had a screenshot capture on the image. So definitely check that out. Mm. And that's what you were referring to. Yes. It really does. On that tablet, it says uh, heavy fragmentation or something. And yeah. then under there, it looks At legit. First, like a maze.
2: blush, it almost looks like it could be a scanner code. But if you look closer, yeah. it does look a bit like a maze. We also got a few email responses that we're going to go over. We grouped them together, so this time we have a lot of talking about hosts and the experience of hosts and theories of that. We're going to start out with Adam, who gives the Dr. Ford is a host theory. This whole time we've been going under the assumption that Bernard is a host version of Arnold. I think this is false. Consider that Arnold was obsessed with the notion of hosts reaching some sort of consciousness or sentience. What if it's not Bernard that's the host's version, but actually Dr. Ford? Perhaps since he is able to manipulate and control everything in Westworld, he is the ultimate host who has attained a level of sentience that Arnold theorized about and made him in his own likeness. Perhaps he is carrying out Arnold's legacy because he thinks humans cannot be trusted. Also recall, Dr. Ford stated the family of hosts were based off his own, and the man in the picture looked exactly like the father host from the cottage. What if in that picture it's actually Arnold and his first host, the father host, within Westworld when it first operated? I think this is the big Nolan twist that will be revealed. Also remember that when Bernard was searching for anomalies, the computer found five additional which led him to the house. And we talked about this too, that we didn't think that the dog would come up as anomaly because... Mm. It doesn't seem like they're tracking all of the animals, the horses, and whatnot in the park the same way as the host. Right. And the only other person that leaves us with is Dr. Ford. And that is also what led us to the theory that he could be a host in the first place, so we definitely like this idea. Yes. Eddie has a bit of a different idea on what they're doing. He says, Bernard may have been the first successful test by Ford to see if he could replace a living person in the real world. Now, this is before the last episode, so we do see that that's going to be sort of happening with Peter Abernathy. Very interesting. But he said, perhaps since Delos keeps sending people to investigate and work in Westworld, Ford is replacing key employees, which is an awesome theory. Like, if he would have sent Teresa back and they wouldn't have known it, now he has his own operation, and this is why he's allowed to get away with whatever he wants, because part of the board is his own host. (laughs) Which I love. I would have loved it even more if we did see Teresa going back. I don't know if that means it's sort of squashed a bit, uh, but definitely a very good idea. And yeah, that could be explored more in season two, he says.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, Going back to what we said earlier about the host stories and us thinking that it could flatline it a bit, John G. wrote in about um, his opposing theory on that. He thinks the whole story, especially as it expands out into season two, will be about these beings and their struggle to be recognized as real, worthy of dignity and respect as the biological evolved machines called humans who tend to barely acknowledge the dignity of others in their own species yet consider themselves supreme. This is their story, so it doesn't diminish anything to tell it. The point of Bernard wasn't to say, ooh, gotcha. It was to show us we cared about this character as real, and he turned out not to be. But did he? How is he less real? His problem is that he's under control, not that he's less real, which I very much agree with. We went over that a bit in this episode. Yes. And I like that. He says lots of humans exist in cages under the control of others in various ways. That's true. They're not any different than us. And he thinks that this is about the struggle to gain freedom and the acknowledgement of their right to exist. Also, we have things like the Turing test, which doesn't ask, are you a sentient being? It asks, are you similar enough to other human beings to be deemed worthy enough to exist? Humans are putting themselves at the top automatically and not using an objective scale to judge. Why? Maybe all of our great accomplishments from Beethoven to Michelangelo are nothing more than an elaborate mating ritual like peacock feathers. That goes back to Ford's speech. I absolutely agree with you. And this is sort of, I guess, what we were saying very badly last time. So I think we're actually more on the same page um, than you think. And thanks for writing to us, John.
1: John also wrote a quote from Morpheus Mm -hmm. from The Matrix. He says, what is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electronic signals interpreted by your brain. That's when he's talking to Neo. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that's kind of like, that's parallel with what Dr. Ford is saying. You know, the self is a kind of fiction for hosts and humans alike. It's a story we tell ourselves. Your imagined suffering makes you lifelike. And then he also speaks about the fact that we are on our own loops. Yeah. So it's the same kind of concept. So, you know, John, we're definitely, we're on the same wavelength. We just spoke about it differently. Oh, not as well, at least.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and what's funny about that, Morpheus, the name originally goes back to Greek mythology. Wasn't he the god who controlled sleeping and dreams?
1: I believe so, yes. Because
2: that makes this all the more Because he's the one that
1: makes Neo awake. Okay. Or woke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, and one final write-in from David. Who says there are some parallels between the film The Island and Westworld. And I can't believe I didn't think about this when we were talking about the other movies that discuss AI because The Island was one of my favorites. When you omit the show's preoccupation with the AI and code of the host, they are nevertheless similar to their outright genetically engineered human counterparts in The Island. In my view, the difference between the two films is Westworld's focus on the humanity of the world's most human androids and their still unknown ulterior purpose by management. Whereas the show, I dare say, the narrative predecessor and its focus was to grow, nurture, and ultimately butcher human genetic clones. That's what they did in the island. It was just a way that they could clone their bodies, people existing in the real world, so that if they needed a replacement organ, a replacement part, it was like spare parts for them. Okay. Uh, yeah, spoiler, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you should definitely do so. But absolutely both raise deep questions of bioethics and I do think they're pulling on this in addition to the many other things. He also says on a different note how real is too real. Were we in the real world to create the first sentient AI life form? Is it ethical to relegate it to subservience to human beings like all of its non-sentient predecessors? The horrific twist in Westworld may later reveal an even darker purpose beyond the park that doesn't entail freedom for the host but a slave labor, which is the core role of all technology, in a sense, to serve humans. And given the advanced abilities of hosts, once free of human control, it may be humans who face the existential danger later in the season. Is Ford a merciful God because he wipes their minds daily, a slave owner, or just a technological person doing morally neutral work for human recreation and good profit? Hmm. That's amazing we did bring up what are they doing in the outside world? Uh, What is the point? of this experiment that's going on in the park. And one of the things we suggested was a sort of slave labor force. So I think that could definitely be an idea. Thank you to everybody that wrote in this week. If we didn't have a chance to get to your comment, please know that we will eventually. We discuss these things sort of as they come up, but hopefully we covered a lot of that. And the last thing, we're going to talk about the brief preview for the next episode 109, The Well-Tempered Clavier. If you don't want any spoilers, we will see you next time. For everybody that's still here, we saw in our preview, Dolores saying, you told me to follow the maze, that it would bring me joy, but all I found was pain. Bernard questions Maeve. She says they've been down this road before. Bernard says Ford broke into his mind. What else has he hidden? and the man in black tells Angela to lead him to Wyatt.
1: <laughs> Shit's gonna get real.
2: So, not too much spoiled there, actually, at all, but it is interesting and gets us excited for our episode nine. Can't believe we're there.
1: We want to thank everyone for being involved and being part of the Clatcher family. Before we leave, we just want to remind you to rate and review us on iTunes. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ckc podcast, Facebook, instagram all that fun stuff and sign up for our newsletter on coffeeclatchcrew.com. stay in the know we'll let you know all the cool shit that's going on
2: and we'll see you next time for episode 109
1: until next week this round's on me this round is on me
2: and gone a long while, Theodore. Oh, it's time you came back to the fold. we well, will need you soon. get down from there. Step up. Step up.
0: Go. There you can go honey.